How many of you guys are believing for an incredible year, 2020, and God's going to move in Jesus' name? I love this vision uh, from Pastor Rick. He actually communicated this to us a couple months ago at a, a retreat we do annually, and just doing talking about vision. And, and it's interesting because in ministry, you know, uh, as a pastor, this is just what I think about all the time. You know, I'm always thinking about how to get people connected, how to get people saved, how to get people around the things of God, you know. And, and so, but even in that, we communicate things like we want to be a church that's outside of the four walls, Let's be outside of the four walls, but then it's not on purpose, but we also are not always intentional about not doing this where we, we say we want to be a church outside the walls, but then we create so much of the context where you can do ministry within the church, being in the church. So I, I love this challenge. I encourage you just to be praying about this because some of you, you love our church, but because of your schedule or because of different things in your life, you haven't ever been able to get plugged into the specific areas of service that we have or even in life groups because of your work schedule, whatever it is. But I know this, most of you, you have something in the rhythm of your life that is consistent where you have opportunities to implement elements of discipleship or just living in community with people around the things of God. And so I just want you to be thinking about like, what is that? Maybe it's just meeting with some of your coworkers at a lunch every week where you just share a verse and get prayer requests or whatever it is, but that's a life group. And we just want to get behind that officially. We, we want to do whatever we can to, to help facilitate kingdom building in your ministry and your life. You guys good with that? If you are, say Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting this series, God at Work, and today I want to talk about kind of the purpose in our work, the purpose in our work. How many of you guys remember your first job? How many of y'all remember your first job? Yell them out to me. What was some of your first jobs? Landscaping. Cabinet building. Wow, you guys started off really strong. <laughs> lifeguard, lifeguard. How many of you guys worked in, in food service, first, first jobs? Okay. How many uh, grocery stores or Walmart? Piggly Wigglies. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I remember, or babysitting. There's probably some babysitters in the house. Uh, how many of you guys remember your worst job? Your worst job, the worst job ever. What, what, were you, what was your worst job? Tell me what it is. McDonald's. I'm hearing some of the same jobs. Uh, okay, what was it? Call center. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, that would be, yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I remember my worst job. I remember my worst job. Worst job I ever had, I washed dishes at an IHOP. Uh, it was the worst job I've ever had because washing dishes is not fun anyway, but you're washing dishes with syrup all over everything. It was horrible. That was like the worst night of my life. And you heard me right. I quit that job. I worked that eight hours and then I moved on. I'm like, I can do better than this. That was the worst job I ever had. That's the only job I've ever quit in my life, but, uh, but it was the right move. God led me in that decision. Uh, but as we look at this, I just want you to know that when we talk about our work, we may think about a job, but I'm also talking to people that are retired. If you're a student, how many of y'all know that one of the hardest, most underpaid jobs on the planet is being a stay-at-home parent? I mean, that is a tough job. It's the hardest job. Okay, but, but the, the point is not necessarily a job, but it is whatever you are endeavoring to do. That is the work that we're talking about. The work of our hands, whatever you're putting energy, effort, creativity, decision-making towards, the endeavor of your life, that is your work. And that's what we wanna talk about, the purpose in it. So I like breaking this down, like in our life, how many hours are we spending doing different things? And I've given some of these stats before, but I had forgotten what some of these stats are. So I went ahead and Googled and it brought up some of these stats. Okay, hours of sleep, 230,000 hours average of our lives we will sleep. 33% of our lives we will sleep. Now, when I Googled this, the same source that I found went on to say that in that same amount of time, you could have watched Die Hard 105,000 times. So that's just, that's just throwing it out there. While you're sleeping, you could be watching some great movies, okay? But, but it did say that you, in the course of your lifetime, on average, we will work between 140 to 150,000 hours of our life at work. About 40% of your life, you will spend working. So that's a huge percentage. You know, when you, when you do the math on that, that doesn't leave a lot. You're sleeping and working, and then you don't have a whole lot of time left. And so it's clear to see that in so many ways, our work can define us. In fact, when we meet other people, right? 
When you meet other people for the first time, this happens on plane rides a lot. When you meet somebody and you, you get to know, you ask their name, and one of the first questions you're gonna ask them is, and what do you do? What do you do? Now, I will say this question can get awkward as a pastor because a lot of times when I meet people, I'm just trying to get people to talk about themselves because people like to talk about themselves. And so they'll be going on and on, but in the course of conversation, they're cussing and talking about, yeah, and no, I was at the bar the other night, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, no. And then they start trying to remember all the stuff that they said. And this is the part I don't like. I hate this part about it. But then they start sounding different than they sounded before. And they're even like trying to throw in a thee and a thouist. And it's like, like, you don't talk that way. That ain't real. Like nobody talks that way. But so much of who we are is defined and our work kind of describes our lives. So that's why we're going to talk about this for a couple weeks in this series. Other studies will show though, that about two-thirds of people wish that they had a different job than the one that they have. About two-thirds of people are not finding satisfaction or fulfillment in their current employment. They daydream all day long about other jobs that they'd like to have. I don't know if you've ever been in that position and maybe you're in that position right now, but I would suggest that some of the times your discontentment is not necessarily because of the specific job you're working, but may have to do with the mindset that you have. It may have to do with the perspective that you have when it comes to the work that God has given you. God never intended for your work to be this miserable existence for the whole course of your life. A lot of people have misconceptions about this, but the truth is finding it difficult to understand like the purpose, like why do I even do this? Like, it's so hard to find purpose in it. You stay-at-home parents, you know how this is when it comes to doing laundry. Like, why do I even try? You can never catch up. It just it never stops. How many of y'all think we should just come up with some sort of disposable clothing? Like you wear it once and then you just throw it away. You just move on in life. It'd be awesome. But, but, but I understand, but here's the thing. That, that complaint, that argument of, of or, or just asking the question of what's it all for? It's not a new question. I mean, 3,000 years ago, Solomon was asking that question. He was talking about that in Ecclesiastes. He says, what do people really get out of all their work, all their hard work? Like, what's the point? Why, why do we even do all this? There is a major misconception, though, around work. Because all of us know that, that in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, when God came and told Adam what his curse was going to be, he talked or he described working. So one of the misconceptions is this, that work is God's punishment for the fall of man. And I've been there. I thought about that before too. Like I thought like, I'll tell you what, when I get to heaven after I praise Jesus for, you know, a couple thousand years, I'm going to go find Adam and I'm going to slap that dude around for a little while. And I got some strong words for Eve too. All right. Because y'all messed it all up for everybody. But the truth is this, God actually designed work in paradise before the fall. This was actually a part of his original plan. In Genesis 3.15, God put the man in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. This is before the fall. Now, any single ladies in the house, I want you to recognize something. Before God gave Adam Eve, he gave Adam a job. So don't go giving your life up to somebody that don't got a job. If the dude can't take care of himself, he sure can't take care of you. Moving on, that's for free. We will actually work in heaven. Did you know that? Like heaven is actually a, a monarchy. God is the king, King Jesus. And we're all going to have different positions. We're all going to have different responsibilities, even in heaven. And I'm happy about that because some of y'all, like we have this, this perception, this, this picture in our brain of heaven. It's like, man, you just, you, you float around on clouds, wearing a toga, drinking sweet tea for eternity. That sounds like hell to me. Like that sounds horrible. Like I need to do something with my life. Like I need to work, right? And, and, and so in heaven, we'll actually have positions. The result of sin is not work, but the result of sin is that work becomes a struggle. 
it becomes a struggle. It gets difficult. There's times where it feels demeaning, and painful, and disappointing. There's times when you have horrible bosses. Like, you ever thought that way? You're just like, bosses. You are the result of the fall of man. You, you are evil incarnate. <laughs> you're just like, but the, but the reality is so much of even that, I promise you, because I've lived it, long time ago, in the very beginning of ministry, I had some pretty rough bosses. Not ever since I've been here in Arkansas at New Life, but, but my, even my concept of how horrible it was at different points, it really had to do with my mindset, my perception, and my trust in God. The truth is this, if you go to any area around the world, and including in cities right here in our country, where no one is working, you will find common denominators. Like it'll be filthy, and chaotic, and violent. And you will hear a lot of whining, and people blaming everyone else for everything wrong that's happening in their lives. God wants us to find purpose and he wants us to find it in work. So what's the purpose of work? The basic purpose of it is to meet my needs. Now this is just kind of like to stay alive. This is the survival mode reason within work. I love this translation, the message, Proverbs 12, 11 says, the one who stays on the job has food on the table. Like, it's pretty basic. Like, this is just something that you've got to do if you want to provide. We're always trying to teach our kids the value of hard work, earning money, saving money. Like, even at a young age, like, we're trying to instill these things. Like, and it's hard because so much of culture is, like, fighting against us constantly. We're always trying to put these. And so, you know, at different points, our kids, they want to get something, whatever, like, you can get it. You're just going to have to work for it. You know, go rake some leaves, go, go do what we can. We don't just give them an allowance. You know, they have to work. They, they have chores and responsibilities and different things. But if they do well at that, then they can, they can earn some money. But a couple of our kids are way more wired this way when they're always thinking about, like, the future and, like, like investments and, like, stuff like that. And so they're wired this way. So they came to us and they say, hey, we want, we want to earn a little bit of money. And so what we want to do is we want to sell cookies and coffee and try to make some money. So we're like, that's cool. We'll help you guys out with that. But, but here's the thing, like they bought the ingredients for the cookies. They, they did all of that. They made some, some snickerdoodles and they made some coffee. And then they went out on one of the, the intersections, one of the street corners um, uh, in our neighborhood. And, uh, and, and it, it, this was a couple weeks ago, so it's winter. So this kind of makes us bad parents, but, but it was cold. And, <laughs> but they're out there and I think they had jackets, maybe. I don't know. That's their mom's job, right? They're supposed to, she's supposed to make sure all that. I'm kidding. Uh, but anyway, so they went out there and they were out there for like two hours, two hours, Two hours, and then they came back. When they came back, like, they, you know, they, they seem to be, have good spirits and everything like that. And we're like, man, this is cool. Like, they're learning the value of this. And so we asked, like, hey, how'd it go? And they're like, yeah, it went pretty good. And we're like, okay, cool. Uh, uh, did you make any money? Did you make any money? And we're like, yeah, we did okay. And we're like, how much did you make? They said, we made $95. I'm like, what? You made $95 in two hours selling snickerdoodles? But this is a problem. They're like, actually, I don't think we're ever going to have to get jobs, ever. We'll just sell these cookies. This will do it. I'm like, this is not how life works. This is not reality, okay? Like, you, you made $95 in two hours because you're cute. Well, you're cute and you're working on it. But, but, you know, it's like that's the reason why, like, people felt bad for you. I'm kidding. My kids are adorable. I love them. But, but, but we're like, look, the, the people are like, nobody normally would give you $20 for a snickerdoodle, okay? That's because they love you, they care about you, and, and you're cute, you know? Uh, but, but I love that they're trying to learn those principles of working, providing. But it doesn't just come without, without working. The Bible is very clear how important it is that, that God has given us everything we need to provide for ourselves to be self-sufficient, if at all possible. Now, I just want to say right here, because what I'm getting ready to talk about is the punchiest part of this whole message, and so I just want to make this clear. What I'm getting ready to talk about is not those that can't work. Like, there's just, it's impossible. You can't work for whatever reason, a physical reason, 
I, I don't know what it would be. Or, or, or just somebody that just doesn't have the ability to work. And I'm also not pointing this at the people that, that are in between jobs. And you, you want to be working and it, it frustrates you. And, and honestly, you're just, you're kind of anxious and, and worried because you haven't been working, but you're doing everything you can. You're submitting resumes, you're doing the work, you're getting up every day, you're trying to be productive. You're just in a place where you don't have work right now. Okay, so I'm not talking about any of those particular situations. What I am talking about is just the people that don't have the desire. They just don't desire. They have the ability, but there's something that, that's in them where they're not producing. So the Bible talks about this, that if, if we're able to work, it's our responsibility to do this, to provide for ourselves, but also for our families. Such a punchy verse. In 1 Timothy 5, it says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa, that's pretty strong. God's just saying, look, providing for those that are around you, it's your spiritual responsibility to take care of our families as best as possible. Now, I think it's clear also, you shouldn't go comparing the way that you take care of your family to how someone else takes care of their family because comparison is from the devil. But it is just doing the best of your ability to take care of those that are around you. There's this one point when Jesus, he encounters this lame man and he's been sitting by this pool and, and, and everyone believes that at, at different points that these, the angels will come and stir this pool and that anyone that is in this pool of water, when the angels stir it, that they'll be miraculously healed. But there's this lame person, the Bible's not completely clear on how long he's been there, but probably a long time, maybe his whole life, he's been, he's been sitting next to this pool. And so Jesus comes up and, he, and they start interacting and, and, and he says, you know, why haven't you got in the pool? And, and the, the man's like, well, no one will carry me. Like right around the time when, when the angels stir the water and I could be healed, it's too late and then I'm not in there and I can't get in there. But then Jesus asked this man a very interesting question. Do you want to walk? Now, if I was a disciple, I'd be the smart elk. I'd be like, hey, yo, Jesus, he's lame. So like, that's kind of a dumb question. Like, I'm sure he wants to walk. He, he, he wants to walk. But Jesus was not just addressing his physical condition. I think Jesus could see the potential of his attitude and heart not being willing to be responsible. Because he already heard him say, well, I would get down in the pool, but no one will carry me. See, there are some people in life that they're not interested in walking. They just want to be carried. They just want, they, they think it's somebody should carry me. Why won't someone carry me? But what Jesus is saying is, look, that mindset is just as crippling as your physical condition. And, and this is not Jesus condemning. This is Jesus trying to help him find freedom. And understanding that when you are healed and you can walk, you've got to take personal responsibility for your life. And if you'll do that, you're going to find purpose. And in purpose, you're going to find fulfillment. And not only are you going to find fulfillment, but you're going to be able to help somebody else too. That's what he's trying to address. So I just want to say this with as much love as I possibly can. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. It is not the government's job to take care of you. It's not really anyone else's job to take care of you. If you are able, God wants you to provide. Not so that it is this painful, arduous task, but because he knows until you see it the way that he sees you and sees your work, you will not find fulfillment. And you'll be miserable. You'll be crippled in your heart. This verse, this is a verse you can put on your kid's door. <laughs> Second Thessalonians 3.10. Even while we were with you, 
we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not eat. Just put that on your kid's door right there. <laughs> Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, not only refusing to work, but then you're meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. How many like to eat? Okay, half of us eat. Cool, I don't know what the rest of y'all do. I love to eat. I love to eat, all right? I mean, it's been an amazing week of prayer and fasting, but I'm ready to chew on some meat this afternoon. It's gonna happen. It's going down, I promise you that. If you want to eat, though, and eat, and eat, and eat, you're going to need to work, 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 work. Y'all know the phrase in the Disney movie, I ho, I ho, it's off to work we go. No, it's I owe, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. It's a part of what God has equipped us to do, to provide, to provide. I think it's interesting we, we don't necessarily see this perspective, but so many of our prayers have been answered because of someone else's willingness to work. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us today our daily bread. Let's, let's think about that. That means a farmer went and planted wheat and he had to take care of that crop and then he harvested it and he did the work of all that and then somebody came and bought that grain and took it to a place where they could make bread and put the work into making the bread and then they, they sold that and somebody had to deliver it through trucks to a place of distribution and then somebody had to take it and stock it and put it on shelves and then somebody had to make sure that they were there when you were ready to buy it so they could sell it to you. See, other people have put in the work so that God can answer the prayer of meeting your need for bread. How many guys like some carbs up in the house? Come on, come on now, bring it on. How about protection? How about protection? Like God sends angels to protect us, but he also gives us men and women in uniform that are well-trained, that put their lives on the line every day. People that know how to fly planes and drop bombs in the name of Jesus and people that drive fire trucks and ambulances and people that have a 45 Glock strapped to their hip with the authority to take idiots off the road so they don't kill the rest of us. God protects us through other people being willing to work. How about healing? Well, God can certainly bring supernatural healing and sometimes that's, that's our last result. That's like all we have, but we, but we also forget that God gave us an immune system. I just, wanna, I just wanna say this, like I, I read about a young man, younger than me, four or five years younger than me, dying of a heart attack this last week. I'm just gonna ask you, will you please, and I don't know all the causes, I don't know all that, I'm just gonna ask you, will you please take care of your temple? Will you please take care of your vessel? Like you, you forget this, you only got one. Like you don't get a do-over. This is, this is what you have. And I'm not saying that there aren't some things that, that affect our health that we can't control, but let's just be honest, there's a lot of things we can control. And, I, and as your pastor and, and from the heart of God, I just want you to finish your race strong. And I don't want something that you do in a temporary season of your life just to ease something that's happened inside of you to affect your ability to finish the call of God on your life strong. God's got some things for you to do. You gotta take care of the thing that's carrying the message so that you can continue to do it. But God also gives us these people that at some point or another in their life, they think, man, I think I wanna be a doctor or I wanna be a nurse. And so these people spend hundreds and hundreds of hours memorizing and studying three by five cards. And they go to anatomy and physiology and they go through the stress and they take on an absorbent amount, a crazy amount of student loans and all this stuff. And some of them, it takes a little longer than others, maybe 10 years instead of what it's supposed to be. But eventually, they become nurses and they become doctors and we forget so often that the healing we're praying for comes through the people that we're willing to put in the work to be those people. God has been answering so many of our prayers, but guess what? It's happened because people have been willing to be faithful with the hands that he's given them and the work that he's given them. Another reason why we have work is to force us to pick a master. That's the way it says it in your notes. I can expound on it. Basically, it's this. 
as you begin to work, you will begin to earn. And as you begin to earn at one point or another, you're going to feel this tug in your heart to where either, even though you are earning and even maybe earning a lot, are you going to still put your complete and total trust and dependency in who God is and how he provides in your life? Or are you going to start depending on the money, the job, the career, and all of that? You're going to have to pick a master. Both of those masters will pull on you. God is always beckoning us to be closer to him, to understand things the way he sees them and to see his kingdom. But, but the world will also constantly be trying to pull on us. You're going to have to pick which master. And in Matthew 6, 25, it talks about this dynamic. It says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. We'll come back to that. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, this doesn't say like, hey, I understand some things happen and it gets tough and, and you know, and the finances get low. And so I get it. Like, if you have to worry, then, then that's okay. No, it says, do not worry. It goes on in the scripture and it talks about how we worry about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat and all these things. And then it says, look, these are the things that pagan people worry about. These are the things that people that don't know Jesus and don't understand anything about God's promises. Those are the things that those people worry about. And it makes sense that they worry about it because they don't know who their real master is. But saying for you, for us, these are not things. And three different times in the portion of this scripture, three different times it says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Anytime something happens in a series of three, it's always emphasizing. It's very important that you lean in, especially when it comes to the word of God. But it's a command. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Most people don't look at worry as breaking God's commandments. <laughs> but that's exactly what's happening. We just kind of look at it. It's like it's a natural thing that happens. Bless her heart, she's just a little bit of a worry wart. She worries. Or man, I'm happy when things are good, but yeah, when things get tight, you know. It's just a natural emotional response to difficult situations. I worry. I worry. Now, I want to also just say, I'm not speaking to clinical depression or anxiety or chemical imbalance because sometimes you need therapists and counselors and you need drugs to get things balanced out. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about self-imposed, unnecessary worry that we allow into our lives. The definition of worry in the original language is to be torn in two. To be torn in two. And this is just where concern has gone too far. This is like concern, but on steroids. And when we work and we don't have a biblical perspective, a kingdom perspective on our work, we will wind up worrying and we'll have stress and we'll have anxiety. Now, I want to differentiate because concern, look, concern is where you have an issue in your life and it's troubling, but you're finding out God's perspective. You're finding out God's point of view and you're setting forth a plan to address it. That's legitimate. In fact, that's a spiritual gift. That's called wisdom and discernment. But worry is when concern begins to control your life, control your emotions. And here's the thing. Worry is like cancer. If it's not treated, it metastasizes. It spreads because worry over your work and over your job will spread to worry over your kids. It'll spread to worry over your health. And by the way, it will wind up affecting your health. So he starts this passage with therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in the scripture, you want to find out what is it there for. And the only way you can find out what it's there for is you got to go to the scriptures right before that. And this is what it says, starting in verse 21, right before that passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other, you can't serve both God and money because that's ultimately the master. 
That's, that's what you're being torn with. You have two masters. If you're going to get rid of worry in your life, you're going to have to get rid of the wrong master and put the right one on the throne. So what's the definition to be torn into? To be torn into. It talks about this, this light in your eyes. Now this, is, this could be a metaphor, but have you seen this? I've seen this physically in people. Like just people have a light in their eyes. Where, it, where actually in spite of whatever job they have or don't have or situation or circumstance they're walking through, that you can just see like this light. And, 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 that, and you can see those people, they have this thing that the Bible talks about, this peace that transcends understanding, this joy unspeakable that you can't explain with logic. They walk in that place. So you can see that people live that way, but you can also see when there's no light because there's no vision. They don't, have a, they don't have a God-sized dream for their life. They don't see the kingdom and eternity and purpose and how they're living. It's just, the problem is when it's dark, you can't see where you're going. Have you ever walked around your house when it's just pitch dark, pitch black? Anybody ever caught your pinky toe on a coffee table before? Come on now, come on. Or have you ever, you haven't lived life until you have stepped on a Lego with a bare foot. Come on, in the middle of the night. I mean, in that moment, look, you will either call on Jesus or lose your salvation. It's that intense. It's just one way or the other. Because you're walking around, you can't see. And not only are you not able to see where you're going, you don't know what to do with your hands. When you are walking without purpose, and the light is gone out of your eyes and you're walking in the dark, you won't know what to do with your hands. Your hands won't be serving purpose. They may be doing a job, but they won't be doing anything that lasts. God wants you to have purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Put him as the master. Third thing is this, to be a kingdom blessing. Kingdom blessing. In other words, we work to help others. Some of you are retired, and I think that's amazing. Congratulations. But I don't think that God ever intended for us just to retire and then, well, that's it. I'm done. Now it's just golf and traveling and uh, I'm going to go to Branson. <laughs> Maybe down to Florida, time to town. Too cold here. Have you ever considered that even when you retire, God still has purpose for you? That there's still work for you? I love my mama. My mama. My grandmother, she just turned 85 this last week. But, but she worked well into her 70s. I don't know how old she was. She was 78 years old. I got that number right earlier. I said that earlier. She worked until she was 78 years old. She worked for Wells Fargo down in San Antonio. And she was forced into retirement. They're like, you can't work anymore. But they did keep her on retainer. She, they wanted to like pay her as a consultant because she, all of her customers and all of her clients loved her so much. They're like, if she's not still around, we're taking our money somewhere else. And they're millionaires. So they're like, okay, Betty, help us here and there. And so, but, but I love this. When I call my mom and I'm just like, hey, mom, what you up to? What you doing? What you been, what you been doing? She's like, you know, I'm, well, I've just been staying busy with the church choir and we've just been singing and I'm planning a road trip up to Branson with my friends and my bed. Mama, I don't know if it's a good idea for you to be doing road trips, okay? This may not be a good idea. But this is one of my favorite things that when I call her and ask her what she's been doing, she'll say this. She's like, I've just been busy working down at the old folks' home. <laughs> and she'll like go to, to retirement homes and she'll like perform for them. Like apparently with like even like a, a feather boa. I don't know what she does and I don't want to think about it too much, okay? But she goes and she's just trying to encourage him. But I'm like, Mama, you said old folks home. Mama, you older than half the people in that place. She's like, I don't, but I just don't feel like it. You know, they're just in there and I just love them. And some of them just need to be encouraged. I'm like, you go, girl. Back a few years ago, I said, Mama, why don't you retire? 
And this is what she says. She's like, you know, James, the interesting thing is I can't seem to find the word retire anywhere in the Bible. like, it's probably, that's true. (laughs) Is it still okay if I retire though? Can I still do that? (laughs) But her point is this. She's never stopped working for the kingdom ever. She's always trying to find ways that she can do something for the Lord. I love that about her. So there's these three stages of life, I think, and and really I've already highlighted, I mean, even through the points of this message, but I I wanna talk through them. First of all, the survival stage. This is where you're just barely making ends meet. And all of us have probably been here at one point or another, either as a college student or in early years of marriage, you know, where we're just, we're just surviving. We're just making it like we don't have anything extra. It's just like paycheck to paycheck. We've done the envelope system. We're, we're just living like we got this much cash. We got $5 for entertainment. We got $10 for gas. We got $3.50 for food. And this is just all we got for the week, right? And, and, and all of us have been in that place. A, a few months ago, one of my kids... <laughs> One of the boys, they're like, they just fell in love with ramen noodles. Some of you call them ramen noodles. You're wrong. It's called ramen noodles, okay? Let's just get that straight, all right? But, but they're like, I, Dad, I love ramen noodles. I'm like, buddy, that is so good because you're going to spend a large portion of your life eating ramen noodles. I just promise you, don't eat too much now because you don't want to get tired of it because another boy, you're going to need to like it, okay? And then another one of my kids, they saw advertisement for spam. And they're like, Dad, what's that? I said, that's what you eat when you first get married. See, what you do is you get the ramen noodles and the spam, and it complements each other. You're going to like this. This is going to be really good. And some of y'all are like, no, I still like spam. It's still good. I still like it. Y'all weird. I don't even know what you're talking about. But that's the survival stage. And then you have the success stage. It's where you have a little extra money. You get to eat out for your birthday. You get to get your own Netflix account, stop using somebody else's account. You even got to save up enough to go on a cruise. Granted, it was a three-day cruise on the worst ship sailing out of Galveston, but, but you made it, baby. You're going big time now. That's the success stage where you, it's like you're able to do some things, but there's this stage that most people never reach. The significant stage. This happens in people's lives when they live with the end in mind, but they live with an eternal perspective. They live in a place where they they know that God is their supplier. They trust him. They're obedient with what the word says about giving, tithing, and all those things. And the people that live in a place of significance, the significant stage, the the thing is their impact will last way longer than their life itself. After they are dead and gone, they are still going to be blessing people. But this this is where you realize that your words and your work and your wealth is from God. And God gives you an opportunity to become this funnel, (laughs) this funnel that you just get to, you get to pour into people. Like I've got, God has given me all this and I realize it and I recognize it and I don't deserve it. And and I'm going to look for places. And when you live that way, guess what? It, it, It won't just last as long as your life lasts. It'll last beyond that. How many of y'all ever heard of Rick Warren before? Rick Warren. He wrote this book called The Purpose Driven Life. And it turns out this book has sold more copies. There's only one book that has sold more copies in the Purpose Driven Life, and that's the Bible. So they sold a lot. But he, never, he didn't know that this was going to happen. It surprised him, but he's made millions of dollars. And in a testimony, he said, man, honestly, it scared me when this started happening. But then I realized I had an opportunity. And pretty much since the day that he released that book and, and all this money, he started living off of 10% of his income and giving 90% of his income. He paid back his salary from the church he worked at for, the, for the, all the years retroactively, he paid all that back. And now he just pours, he just pours. How many of y'all know that that is gonna make a lasting impact way after he's gone? 
Look, I don't know if God, I don't know if, I have, if we have one millionaire in the house. I will say, I pray all the time that God would bring that kind of blessing around us, especially around kingdom-minded people. Um, because we got a lot of work to do. And, and we need people that think from a position of how can I impact eternity, souls, significance. Ephesians 4.28 says this, we must work doing something useful with our hands. Why? So that we may have something to share with those in need. Proverbs 11.25 says this, we've said this first before around the subject of giving and tithing. A generous man will prosper. He, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I'll tell you what, it is so much fun blessing people. That is so much fun being generous. You will find that when you start being generous, you will find that you had a different gear in your life that you didn't realize you had. You'll realize, man, there's, this is fun. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do next. And in that place, and I promise you, that doesn't, just, that doesn't happen when you get rich. That happens even when you're making nothing. But when you're making nothing and you're making it a priority to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit to give and be generous, it is fun to live in that place. That's the purpose of your work. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Earlier I said that some of you, you have a desire to work, but maybe you haven't been. Maybe you just can't. And I wanna pray that God would give you an idea, creativity around something that makes you feel like you can pour out, that you have something to give. I do believe that some of you, you, you can't work because of a physical condition. And I believe that God is still a God that heals and I wanna pray his healing over you. I know that there's some of you that you, it's not that you can't or you don't have the ability, but you are crippled in your thinking, crippled in your heart, you're crippled in your mind. And I believe that God wants to heal that too. I believe that he wants to set you free. I believe that there's some of you that you're working and you're in a job, but you have had a difficult time seeing the kingdom, seeing purpose. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray over every person in this room and I wanna pray over the productivity of your hands, the labor of your hands, that God would bless it. So nobody looking around, and I'm not trying to make anything weird, but I just want you to hold your hands out in front of you like you're getting ready to receive a present from somebody. Anytime you hold your hands like this before the Lord, it's just a sign of surrender. Ethan asked us to do this early in worship, and you may not have known what that was. What he was saying is, let's just, let's just open ourselves up to God. Let's say, I surrender. When you open yourself, you put yourself in this position. It's, it's similar to what happens if a police officer comes in and say, hey, freeze, what are you gonna do? You're gonna put your hands up like, okay, I give up, I surrender. This is us saying, God, I'm open. I'm open, I wanna receive. Right now in the name of Jesus, I speak over every hand that is in this place. And God, not just the physical hands, but the emotional parts of our lives that they represent the spiritual parts, the relational parts of our lives. Some of us feel crippled in our ability to produce and to find purpose. And God, I pray that you would bless the work of our hands. You would bless it. That every person in this room, no matter how much or how little money they make or whatever their job is, for every stay-at-home parent, for every person that is, is seasoned in life and, and entering into retirement, to the youngest, to the students that, that are so just consumed with school right now. But I pray that in everything that we do, no matter what it is, that the work of our hands will be blessed and it will be prosperous in Jesus' name. And the reason it's gonna happen is because we are living in such a way that we can see your kingdom come now in our lives as it is in heaven. 
God, help us to realize that heaven is not this far off place. It is a different dimension, but we can see it happening right in front of us. And I pray that we would see souls, that we would see opportunity, that we would see eternity. We would see your kingdom in the work of our hands. Whatever we do, bless the work of our hands, Father. Bless us, Father. We choose you. We choose you. Be our master. Be our master. Also just wanna pray for anybody that, that maybe that's the major issue. Maybe the, to this point in your life, you've never surrendered to Jesus. You've never given your life to him. The truth is life itself and even the enemy will present things before you all of your life to try to steal your identity, to get your identity established in something that is temporary, including your work. But the fact of the matter is you will never find purpose and significance in life until you know your purpose and significance in Jesus. And he wants to give you that and he paid a huge price for you to have that. But maybe you've never accepted the free gift of salvation. Maybe the difficult part for you is you're such a doer. So much of your life has been performance based and even the acceptance of other people has been based on your, the way that you worked and your performance. And maybe you've never truly been able just to see that, that God loves you and he's gonna accept you no matter what. He loves you. He just wants you to find fulfillment. He wants you to have purpose. But if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to him through his son, Jesus, maybe today is the day. Or maybe you did at one point or another, but maybe work, the busyness of life, pulled you away from him, or maybe something else pulled you away from him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life and come back to Jesus today. Well, I wanna give you an opportunity. And I'm just asking all the believers in the house to pray because this is the most important decision that someone can make. If you're here today and you just be willing to confess, you know what, I am away from God and I need him. I need him. I don't understand all the details, but I just know in my heart right now I need Jesus, I'm away from him. I'm ready to surrender to him. I, I need forgiveness, I need purpose. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I'm tired of this sin, I'm tired of this struggle, I'm tired of this emptiness, I'm tired of feeling hopeless. I'm tired of pretending like everything's okay when it's not. I'm tired of coming to church but never feeling connected to what everyone else is getting connected to. I'm ready, I wanna encounter Jesus. And if you're in that place, Nobody's gonna look around and I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold and just admit that that's you. I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you wanna be included in that prayer, nobody look around, why don't you put your hand right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, thank you guys, thank you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you guys. Got it, got it, got it. Believing with you guys, believing with you guys, praying with you as a brother in Christ. Anybody else, I need Jesus. You, you raising your hand doesn't get you saved, but you raising your hand and, and just me seeing it, between me, you, and God, I just want you to know God is gonna show up. Anybody else? I need a relationship with him, got it. Yes, yes, man. Anybody else? Got it, thank you, bro. Thanks for being bold. God's gonna honor, yes, man. Got it. I got it, sweet girl. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, man. Yes, man. I'm away from him, I need him. I need him. I'm ready to find him. I'm ready to find my identity in him. Not everything else. Not in these empty relationships, not in this empty career, not in I gotta find my significance in him. Anybody else? Okay. Okay, God is so good. Somebody's being a little stubborn. I just kind of sense that in my spirit. Somebody's just being a little stubborn right now. And I get that I'm the same way. And you're wrestling with it. And you know, you need to make this decision. And here's the deal. You can make it right there in your chair and you never have to raise your hand. But here's the thing. The reason why I want to give you the opportunity to raise your hand is because as soon as you make that physical act in faith, I think you're going to experience so much more of freedom and God's grace than I think you might if you don't raise your hand. So just one more second. Anybody else? It's me. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. God's gonna honor it, got it. Everybody that raised your hand, got it. Never too late, man. 
It's never too late. Okay. Everybody that raised your hand, we're just going to talk to God. And the word says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. And we're going to have water baptism right after the service. And I'd encourage you to go public with your faith. I'd encourage you to tell somebody about it as soon as the service is over. Water baptism is a great way for you to boldly and confidently declare, I'm a Christ follower. And I want everyone to know, and I want my church family to know so that they can encourage you and support you. But right there in your chair, you can just say this prayer in your own heart. Maybe it's loud enough for your own ears to hear it. But just say this, Jesus, here's my life. And I know that it's messed up. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I don't understand all the details. Honestly, it's a little intimidating. But I have some faith right now to believe that you came, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Right now, I ask for your forgiveness and I surrender my life to you. I thank you that you didn't just die, but you rose from the grave. And when you rose from the grave, you defeated my sin. You defeated death itself. And because I believe in you now, I also have the hope of heaven. I'm get to spend eternity. But Lord, I'm not gonna sit around now and just wait on heaven. I wanna live out my purpose for you today. So direct me and lead me by your spirit the counsel of your word. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ. People can encourage me, support me. I thank you, Lord, for my new life in you. Thank you for the hope that I now have. And I thank you, God, that I never have to look back ever again. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to see the work of our hands, the endeavors of our life, the way that you see them with the purpose and fulfillment that you have for us. And God, that we would be faithful with providing. But Lord, as we, as we are obedient to you, I know that we're not just gonna provide for ourselves, but we are gonna, we're gonna be a people that live lives of significance for our, the world around us, a world that desperately needs hope. Thank you for that opportunity and that responsibility. Help us, give us grace to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. I don't, we have probably 15, 20 people raise their hand and give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's give God some praise and we welcome you and we love you and we're proud of you. We're gonna worship God one more time as a church family and we're gonna have some of our prayer team down here in front. And you may have a prayer need around this subject. It may be about needing a job or, or struggling in the job that you are, you're in, or, or you identify that there's some of your mindset that may be just off a little bit and you just need somebody to believe in prayer. Here's what the word says. It says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will show up. But here's the deal. That means you gotta get with two or more and declare his name. And if you'll do that, there's something powerful about that. God will hear your prayers praying on your own. But there's something in you that may need to be released and it's called faith. And sometimes that can only be released when somebody else is believing with you. So maybe you need prayer over something. Our prayer team is gonna come down to the front and I'd encourage you to come and get some prayer with them. Let's all stand. Let's worship God one more time together. See what he still wants to do.